I remember him. So often, <laughs> he crashes, right? Races so. don't make any fucking sense. Star Wars tries. Like, Star Wars does more than Star Trek in terms of, like, not just everything being a human shaped thing with something with shit on its face. That's true. But Star Wars is also a movie. But Star Wars does have a lot of aliens that are just shit on their face. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything is. Why is every Twi'lek hot? That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the lady Twi'leks are just like hot ladies with tentacle hair, and the male Twi'leks are like just like demon men. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. but they're also wildly sexy. Yes. Yeah. Like unreasonably sexy. Yeah. Every Twi'lek is unreasonably sexy. Yeah, it's, yes. true. it's true. They got Rosario Dawson to play Ahsoka. Come on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka is not a Twi'lek. No, she's not. They just Who have tentacle hair. Who am I thinking of? Well, she's hot, too. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the moral of the story is yeah. Rosario Dawson yeah, yeah. is also hot. They also have tentacle hair, but they have a different, like, ridged head. <sighs> right. They have they, right. they have points. Is there a Twi'lek in, yeah, twi in the trailer? Is that what I'm thinking of? Trailer of what? Ahsoka. Might have been. I think there was. I think there was. I think there's a Twi'lek character. There's cool. a new show coming out. Oh, Hera from Star Wars Rebels. Probably Hera. Yeah. That's probably... People were like, is this just season five of Star Wars Rebels? It it actually does look like it is. A lot of people think it is. All right, we gotta do this. Yeah. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my fire-breathing co-hosts. Hello, my name is Cassidy, and apparently I just exist in the void, and I'm unformed, and just go what? about my existence moment to moment, starting <laughs> creating new impressions of what's around me at any given time. Did you just realize this? Or, like, my memory's like a goldfish, because I could not remember what we were recording on today. <laughs> we literally just recorded a skit for this episode. <laughs> I st I, every few minutes, I have to remind myself. It just, it wants to escape my brain. It purine a fire. <laughs> I didn't understand a thing you said. That's right. Thank goodness. Uh, my, well, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you are able to form any memory for any amount of time. Thank you. Void being very hype. Yeah. I myself am Jack Olander. I'm rocking the she, they pronouns right now. Oh, damn. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm Leonidas, the king of Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I noticed that your Greek accent was really pronounced today. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I fully expected you to try to do a Scottish accent. You mean a Greek accent? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Well, you know that I only put that on for the troops and for the camera. We just we sound normal most uh, of the time. Oh, can can you remind me what a Spartan uh, vocation is? Uh, ooh -ah. Okay, thank you. Ooh -ah. <laughs> That's right. As opposed to Waluigi's vocation, which wow. is. 
It's like Mario when he's in Dane when he's yeah. getting wounded. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. really good. I like that. I've played a lot of Mario. Did I say Wario or Waluigi? Because I meant Waluigi. You said Wario. I well, meant Waluigi. Wah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah and right. then Waluigi's like, wah. <laughs> 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 I was pointing out to a student earlier that uh, they they mentioned my Donkey Kong T-shirt, and they're like, "Oh, I just saw the Mario Brothers movie, and Donkey Kong's in it." I was like, "Oh yeah, by my voice double," <laughs> and they were like, well, "You should uh, be Donkey Kong in the new." In the next Mario movie, I was like, "You know what? I'd be a lot cheaper than Seth Rogen." That's true. <laughs> Dramatically, I'll do it for half his price. Yeah. And you're an actor too. Hey. Yeah, perfect. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I'm excited because today we're talking about a movie. Don't ask me what it is. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm going to tell you what it is. Okay, good. At Far. What? I'm sorry, I still don't understand that, but it be rain of fire. <laughs> okay. Thank you. It's <laughs> three. <laughs> now this movie was directed by Rob Bowman. And it stars Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey, and Gerard Butler on his, what, third or fourth return to our show? Yeah. Uh, we don't have Gerard here with us. Oh, that's too bad. But we've talked about many of his movies. There's a lot of beautiful men in this movie. Accurate. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of good that we don't have them here in the studio with us because I think we wouldn't get anything done. That's fair. We'd all just be enraptured by their eyes. <laughs> That's right. We've got Beowulf in this movie. We've got the man in black in this movie. Oh, thank you. McConaughey also returning. Yeah. That's right. We've got Howl. That's right. That's right. Howl's Moving Castle. Exactly. So every one of these stars uh, has appeared in a previous Swords and Satire movie. I feel like we've done another Christian Bale movie, but maybe I'm wrong. This is a fantasy Avengers this is a bit of a family Again, fantasy Avengers. Memory like a goldfish over here. I love yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, before we get into our thoughts and opinions about the movie, I think we should probably provide the listeners with a little summary just to catch them up. guys so it's the future what did we watch again <laughs> you're kidding right no Rain of oh, no, i am i am i am, I am. <laughs> you're, you're worrying me now <laughs> standing is making you delirious <laughs> no i'm just I'm silly <clears throat> so it's the future so guys it's the future 2020 Oh, yeah. The world is fucked. Well, we experienced that. Yeah, coronavirus. The world is slightly less fucked than in the actual 2020. Oh. All we have in this 2020 is dragons. Oh, yeah. And they kind of like took over the earth already. Uh, you know what? I'm here for it. I had someone say you can train the dragons. <laughs> I don't know if you can train these dragons. Oh, no. Did we mention before that he was... The guy, the dad? That Gerard Butler is stoic from yeah. having I mean, I mentioned dragon. that we've covered like five Gerard Butler movies. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. He was in Beowulf and Grendel. <clears throat> he was in 300. He was in like all of the How to Train Your Dragon movies that we've covered, I think. Yeah. Is he in the last one? Yeah. Yeah. Flashbacks. So that's at least five movies. Yeah. Anyway. So, guys, here I'm just going to give you this real quick analysis or a real quick summary of this movie. It's pitch black with dragons. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. But we haven't talked about pitch black, so we should probably get some more detail. They're not. You can't like avoid the monsters in like you can in pitch black where you just stand right in front of their face. True. You you can avoid the dragons or you can like have a, a one up on the dragons if you attack them at dusk. That's right. So basically the same premise. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, there's two handsome men and an NB who do not appear in this film from Pitch Black, however. That's fair. Their absence is severely missed. Hey, remember when in the sequel to Pitch Black, they like hyper gendered Jack? Yes. And like yeah. made, made them into like basically a fully femme like sex symbol? Yeah. You know, there was something in the first movie. And it just, it could not sustain at the time it was made Yeah, guys, into the we, second one. We should talk about Pitch Black one of these days. Yeah, we will. Looking forward to For it. For lasers and laughs. <laughs> it's fantasy. There's a gin in the series. There's huh. a genie in the sequel. I guess the Furians are kind of like magical aliens. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Anyway, so Reign of Fire. <laughs> Reign of Fire is a story about a boy named Quinn. Who's out on a archaeological no, who's out on a mining dig with his mom and then discovers dragons who take over the earth. Good job, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like 20 years later, there it, there's very few humans left, and Quinn is leading one colony of humans that have survived, and they're hiding out in an old monastery. That has like catacombs underneath that they could hide in. We were watching this movie with our friend Casey and he was like, oh man, are they going to do like the walking dead thing and like never call the dragons dragons? They'll be like burners or like wing lizards or something. <laughs> Would have been Weirds. so good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so basically they're like just barely scraping by. Then McConaughey rolls in with his big dick cannon on top of a tank. <laughs> so basically, if you're not getting it by now, the Americans show up. Yeah, that's right. Look, McConaughey, Cass is not joking, literally comes in on a tank, sitting on the tank, like not the, the big barrel, but like the machine gun at the top of the tank, just between his legs. Yeah. And he's being, like, he's moving no in a suggestive subtlety. manner. So I'm not making shit up here. I mean, but it's not, you know, unheard of, but you know, no. not in this instance. There's just, this movie does not do subtlety. Right. And so he's leading like a group of army veterans that somehow made it over from the U.S. to England. And his explanation for how that worked out is very sus. And you like never find out how they really got there. They got there on planes. Yeah. That's right. They're because just... they have military equipment because America is a military industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, they're just here to build a little base on Britain, on the UK, That's and right. on England. I just have to point out, like, Jack, at one point while McConaughey was talking and being all tough and, like, kind of telling Quinn and his group how it is, like... 
you were just like, his eyes are so beautiful. I can't focus on what he's well, saying. And, he, and I was he, like, yeah, it's true. He's supposed to be this like gritty, militaristic American, like badass, traumatized badass. But he has like kind of like eye. He has like <laughs> these luxurious eyelashes and blue orb eyes. Lorbs. It's like, called? why did the makeup team like emphasize his eyes so much? Why did why they like? Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's you know, <laughs> dragon lean product placement. <laughs> I was okay with it. I was just living in his eyes after that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now I I have to. I cannot emphasize enough how jacked McConaughey got for this role. Oh my god, it's true. He is huge. His his arms are rippling. And when he was, Jackie pointed out that when he was trying to flex when they first got to the compound, he was just T-posing to show his dominance. Dude, he was actually standing, like, palms facing down. He was actually T-posing. He was actually T-posing. So, this is, like, pre, like, 3D render, to, or, like, yeah. early 3D rendering. That's so. right. So, let's hop right back into that scene. McConaughey's character is named Van Zam. Van Zant. Van Zant. I like Van Zam. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how that's how Quinn says it yeah. in the movie. And so they they face off the leaders of both factions, the Brits and the Americans. I'm gonna point out here that this is one of the only movies I've ever heard Christian Bale actually speak in an English accent. Because you know, he's British. Right. And so Quinn wants to keep his family safe his colony he just he wants to lie low but van zant says that there's another way of existing than living in fear underground you can just kill those motherfuckers yeah there's only a few million dragons whatever he and the military troop he leads are actually dragon hunters there are trillions of bullets in america <laughs> and only millions of dragons fair point and they aim to get them all. And so they demonstrate how they can take one down by losing two men right away. Um, <laughs> they have like suicide troops, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Guys do. who just parachute out of planes to be dragon bait. And then they kill the dragon, I guess. But we don't they, really ever see it work. They try to survive. But uh, it's a very high works. likelihood of them just dying. That's right. They have a 17 second lifespan. They're called the Angels. Thank you. And so after they fell a dragon successfully, there's uh, a a heated uh, debate about whether they should believe in this new lifestyle or right. keep the safe one they are used to. Quinn is much more on the side of like preserving human life at all costs. And like laying low and just going the survival route, Van Zant seems to want revenge on all of Dragonkind. That's right. In the end, they find that you don't have to kill all the dragons at once. There's a single dragon that you can kill that will end the species entirely. Yeah, because apparently there's only one male dragon. That's the only one you got to kill. Apparently, the the females are not going to. Uh, retaliate in any way, or... They haven't seen Jurassic Park, apparently. Also, I hypothesized during the movie, what if they're just, like, ants, 
and like one of them will just become like the male will like e- spontaneously evolve yeah. and become like able to impregnate females again, again I, and like park. and like i don't know do, do lizards fertilize eggs the way fish do or is it different it is like that thank god you knew i was like i don't know um yeah so they go hunting the male dragon and by then it's only vanzant Alex, which is the helicopter pilot. The token female character of this film. Yeah. She's pretty cool. She's very cool. Quinn, and it's only the three of them. She's also like the only female character. Yes. And it's only the three of them because Van Zandt got his whole, like, troop killed trying to go after the uh, male dragon. Oh, and then that dragon came and destroyed the whole compound of all the people. Right. Oh, hey, there's also some throwaway tension between Quinn and Van Zant that gets resolved very nicely, and then they go off hunting together after Gerard Butler's character Bobby died. He's not named Bobby. I don't remember his name. Creedy. After Gerard Butler's character Creedy gets killed by like just the most unnecessary dragon fire. That's right. Speaking of dragon fire, they have just come up upon the nest of the male dragon. However, the plan is falling apart as Quinn's explosive crossbow bolt is <laughs> lost. <laughs> I mean, that would sound like a ridiculous thing to say if this were not a movie about dragons. That's right. Yeah. They're going to Jaws this bitch and just shoot that dragon down the gullet with a bomb. Yeah. Um, That's what you do. However, Van Zant gets a little confused and throws himself down the gullet of the dragon. It's true. He, he is sadly not an explosive. He tried to attack it with his big axe. He has this like badass, like building leap, wielding axe. Like they did this exact shot in Sharknado with the chainsaw. But, you know, the hero, who I think his name is Finn, cuts this shark in half from the inside out with the saw. Van Zant just gets eaten and drops his axe to the ground. Yeah, it's very anticlimactic for an interesting character. I have um, a theory about that, though, that I'll talk about during the delve. Cool. Um, after that, Quinn just kind of plays chicken, uh, has a staring contest with the male dragon for a little bit, uh, dodges the, the fire, and then just explodes its head off. With the crossbow bolt, because he found it. Problem solved. (laughs) Oh, look, it was just right there. (laughs) That's what Alex tells him. Yeah, yeah. And presumably, all the female dragons wither up without the uh, strong influence of a male and stop eating people. Uh, That's what they're going to assume, and they make us assume the same thing. And there's just like an ending scene where they're just like, oh, let's go contact people in France. Well, the the implication is that they're going to be badass dragon hunters now that dragons can no longer replenish their population. I guess. And they're going to team up with the French, which, you know, that's that's character development because they're British. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think that's a pretty good summary of this bad boy. Why don't we head into the delve? Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Reign of Fire. So, during the break, Cass realized that Jack and I were both wrong and that the main character or that uh, Matthew McConaughey's character's name is Van Zan. 
Oh, yeah. Not Van Zam or Van Zant. I've always thought his name was Van Zant, like he was named after the lead singer from Leonard Skinnerd. Because he's supposed to be like a southern good old boy, USA, rah-rah boy. He's a rah-rah boy. He's a real rah-rah yeah, boy. Yeah, he definitely is. But hey, that's a perfect segue into the first theme I want to talk about. And that is militarism and the security state of the post 9-11 world. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so I have a theory about this film and its production. And I could be wrong. I could be way off base. But I get this sense when we first meet Van Zan that he is supposed to be kind of a anti-hero, like, sort of antagonist who is going to lead the main character into ruin if he were to follow him. Kind of like a dark avatar, right? He comes in, like, U.S. military, kind of scary on the tank and everything. He seems like the obvious choice to follow in a time with when security and confidence are at all-time lows. <laughs> He's domineering. He's fear-mongering. But, like, late 90s, he has that classic kind of, like, yeah, tough guy, but in the end, he doesn't have the answers type yeah, of character. But this was from 2002. Exactly. But I'm saying, I feel like he was going to be this antagonist character who was going to fuck over Quinn. That is how they are setting it up in the beginning when they first meet. Exactly. But while they were likely filming this movie. That's right. And I'm guessing that this movie was being filmed around 9-11. Yeah. And I just can't help but feel like they made a last minute change so that Van Zan is suddenly like they like maybe they'd already even filmed the intro scenes or just written it and they were like, oh, this is gonna be him, and then we're gonna last minute make this change where he for no real reason just switches characters towards the end and becomes like a hero who's gonna sacrifice himself, even though the sacrifice is really dumb. Yeah. Like we are we are set like we've built up this antagonism between Quinn and Van Zan. And it really seems like it's going to boil over. And then all of a sudden, they're like, all right, I trust you now. Let's go fight a dragon together. And it's so left field. Also, there is no social fallout between the two of them. None. After Van Zandt's actions got his whole troop killed and most of the citizens of the colony that Quinn had put built. Yeah. Up. Oh, my bad. Oh, okay. Thanks, buddy. That's right. The war on terror begins with the war on dragons. Apparently. <laughs> so I don't know. I could be way off base with this hypothesis that I have, but it just feels like with the breakneck character change and the tonal shift of the movie, like right towards the end, that Van Zandt was not supposed to be a heroic figure until they were like, oh, uh, actually, we have to like only speak good about the American military, we cannot have him be the villain. But that still doesn't hold up because with the military coming in, it just really feels like people are so insecure. Their safety and security is at risk in a very real way. They feel like they need to 
fall back on somebody who can offer them these things. They feel like Van Zan and his crew might be that answer, but it ends up backfiring on all of them. But and there's no consequences. They are... There is for a lot of the characters who die. There's no consequences to the storytelling. True, but think about this. After 9-11, a lot of people were supportive of measures that sacrificed a lot of our freedom for increased safety and security. The illusion of such. Sure. Um, and that's kind of like what you see reflected in this movie. Uh, they give up... The freedom of being alive. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite freedom, by the way. For the perceived security of somebody who says they can take offensive action against the threat. Yes, but that is not what the movie sets up when Van Zandt first arrives. So I see what you're saying. If they had built the whole story around that idea, maybe. But I feel like there's a tonal shift. Hmm. I'll tell you what this reminds me of. The military coming in, mm -hmm. the American military, yes, getting isekai'd to a fantastical land, in this case, England. <laughs> they even mention King Arthur. They do. And there are dragons. There's dragons in America, a few less, thanks to Van Zang. <laughs> he shows up. With the American military, where the American military is not. Sure, where they have no jurisdiction. And also, exactly. they have no jurisdiction because nations no longer exist. They show up to yeah. assert their authority over the locals in yes. order to fight giant monsters. Sure. This is Monster Hunter World, yeah. the movie. But done well. But better, yes. It is better than Monster Hunter, and that's true. Well, first This is the off, lowest bar you have ever set. Yeah, for, I think I we gave that a two or a zero. First off, this movie does not establish uh, racist depictions of indigenous groups because there are, uh, to my knowledge, no people of color in this film. Yike. I mean, I guess it's England, but there are people of color in England. But there are Americans also. Notably ethnically diverse, right? The Americans are more diverse than the British in this film. Are there are there people of color in the American troops? Is if there, there are, I don't. I think there are like two. I think there are one or two, maybe yeah. black characters with one has no dialogue and one might say a thing. I don't know, like yeah, Van Zan or something like that. <laughs> yeah, or like. It's our mission to do a thing. I don't even, like... I think that was one of the angels, yeah. Yeah. One of the guys whose job it is to sacrifice his life yeah. might have been a person of color. Perfect. No notes ran a fire. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, I suppose it is similar in that way to Monster Hunter World. But, yeah, it's... The U.S. military coming in as the solution to fantastical monsters... I mean, if you're going to show a military fighting fantastical monsters, you would want the most expensive military in the world to be the one depicted, right? I suppose. Sure. I mean, also, this is an American production or an American-made movie, at least. Right. So, I mean, but 
I feel like before 9-11, a lot more movies were doing the, like, let's, it's okay to question the U.S. military because we're, like, learning about questionable things that have happened in military history. After 9-11, you get this shift where everything is pro-military. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel like they're setting it up. Like, the the filmic language at the beginning of the movie when Van Zandt shows up is not necessarily... It doesn't necessarily feel like this is supposed to be like this great thing that's good for Quinn and his community. It feels threatening to me. Yeah, it feels like there's an influence that's come that is going to convince all of uh, Quinn's people to get themselves killed. Yeah. I will say the one scene that seems like it might be painting the military people in a bad light is when Quinn's, like, apprentice is going to go join the Angels. Yes. In Van Zag's army. <laughs> and what does Van Zag do? <laughs> well, he's not actually in the scene, but uh. thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, in the scene, Jared, who is supposed to be the next over- seer of this colony the leader he's yeah. kind of like quinn's adopted son yeah he's gonna take over when quinn dies i didn't vote for him <laughs> but you did vote for quinn yeah well yeah it is a little it is a little surprising the kid who first saw the dragon is also the kid who is in is also the adult who's in charge of the colony i'm like well that's a that's a neat coincidence yeah. <laughs> like, Good thing he has leadership skills. Yeah. But Jared is going to join the Angels, and Quinn can't talk him out of it. The only way he convinces him not to do it is by saying, like, I guess you're an adult and you can make these decisions on your own. <laughs> and then Jared's like, you're right. I'm with you, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for giving me freedom. But that's yeah. why I he feel like there's this middle shift in the movie where, like, the plot completely changes. Yes. Yeah, Jared walks around outside for a little bit and then comes back and is like, <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I think I'm going to stay, actually. That really feels like something got edited. Something got cut there. It was either like a nine a post nine eleven shift or just a thing that happens to movies all the time where like rewrites partway through just butcher the original idea. Maybe with what you're talking about, but also with like this whole sequence of events with Jared, it is weird how he just like comes back without anything in between. It def there was definitely a cut scene there where he goes to see Van Zan. And um, I think Van Zandt would probably reject his help. Well, doesn't Quinn go out and, like, find Jared? No. No, no. Jared comes back. So this kind of leads me to talking about the theme of trust that I identified in this movie. A lot of it has to do with, like, whose word, opinion can you trust to lead you in the right direction when it really counts, like when people's lives are on the line. And it seems like uh, like when we start out with the movie that Quinn has been that guy for people. Yes. But 
He's, he's like earned his position as a leader. Yeah. People trust his word. They trust his advice. He's kind of like a headman in that way, where that would be in like a typically like egalitarian society, uh, where somebody doesn't have like overt authority, but they're a headman. So they're kind of like somebody who is a leader in practice, but not in title. And people will like go to them if they need help or like if they need advice or like they'll listen to those people and like their word carries more weight. It's somebody who's proven themselves as an asset to the community yeah. and like has leadership qualities, but does not have a formal title. And that seems definitely like what Quinn is. I mean, we meet adult Quinn as a shirtless minor. So we're inherently inclined to trust him. Right. I thought he was an adult when we meet him. We meet him as a little kid when he's in the. Oh yeah, that's when we meet him in, in the mind of his mom. Yeah. yeah, I said as an adult we meet him that way. Yeah, as a minor. Yeah, with no shirt on. Right. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but people's faith in his word is wavering because things are becoming even more dire. Their food is becoming more scarce. It's harder and harder to get a good harvest each year, they've been saying. And so people- We didn't even talk about their tomatoes. Yeah. People think they can make a go of it their own better somewhere else, not even realizing that they have it best where they are, probably. I mean, we, we don't really know. We don't really get any contact with anybody other than this random troop of military, like, Americans that show up. Yeah. <laughs> and we know there are other humans that are surviving because in the end they're talking to people from France. Right. But. But that's, like, their first contact in a long time. Yeah. People seem inclined to want to follow Van Zan and his troop even though well they have tanks even though they're suspicious of them because they are a threatening force and they could easily just take over and they don't establish that things are super harsh and like you can't they don't feel like they can trust anybody who just comes along except for in the way in this in the way they react to these visitors coming they do mention when the americans are driving up they're like, ah, oh, raiders. And oh. they're like, we've dealt with them before. We'll deal with them again. Yeah. I missed that. Okay. And that's another reason why the beginning of this movie does not feel like a post 9-11 movie. Because in a post 9-11 movie, as soon as the US military showed up, everyone everyone would be like, Oh, finally. Yeah, like in an American made film. Yeah. It would be like, the heroes are here to save us. And that is not how this movie starts out yeah that's true they don't trust the military people right away but they kind of recognize that they might need them exactly and um it turns out they aren't there to just take everything from them they actually do have some sense of morals or ethics left <laughs> in a world where it seems like that is a rarity, even more so than it is now. And, um, okay, so thinking of how 
they've already fought off some raiders, it makes sense that they wouldn't just trust anybody that comes to their door. Um, and uh, people like aren't sure if they feel like they can trust Van Zandt's word that he's actually killed the dragon before. That's true. And that they took planes across the Atlantic Ocean to get to England. With tanks. Yeah. Quinn says that's their territory, meaning the dragons. Yeah. And Van Zandt is like, no, that's our territory, brother, or something like that. <laughs> They're just renting it. Yeah. Listen oh, here, yeah. brother. I, I <laughs> These dragons are going to come into the squared circle, but I'm going to suplex them down to the canvas and pin them for the one, two, three. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Love that. That's uh, that's my Van Zandt impersonation. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes, all right, all right, all right, because he's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did we already talk about his blurbs? I think we did. We mentioned them. Okay. Yeah, very early. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> it has to be said. And then they kind of like grow to trust this new group over time as they prove that they aren't just there to murder everyone and take the meager <laughs> possessions that they still are holding on to. They're tomatoes. Yeah. That's right. But... Uh, Van Helsing's group <laughs> sees Quinn's group as lesser as well. Yeah. Because from their perspective, they're risking their lives in order to save people like Quinn's group. Right. Who are not willing to do the same in return. Van Zandt's group sees Quinn's group as cowardly. Yeah. And they vocalize that after the first dragon kill. They're just like, all of you people are celebrating, but three of our guys died to kill one dragon, and that's not really a victory, and you didn't know the people that died. You guys were here in a safe place while we were risking our necks for you. Right? Which is a shitty thing to say when you show up and you're like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. It's like, all right, man, this is your idea. It's true. He's a he, deeply troubled person. <laughs> one thing is that they want to stop at... That compound, Van Zandt and his troop, because they do need to resupply. Yes. With, like, various medical supplies and, like, whatever food that can be spared and such. So, that colony does have things they need. Sure. Even while they're looking down on them. This just further makes me think that there was a, a last-minute change halfway through the movie, because that never comes up again either. Maybe... But Van Zandt actually threatens Quinn. He does. He says, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the real easy way. Because Further making him seem like a threatening force and not a liberating yeah, force. Yeah, he is. Like he He's meaning, like, we can come in and uh, by your invitation and take supplies that we need, and you can gift them to us, and this can be peaceful or we can force our way in and they could uh and just take it and then people would probably die um so quinn doesn't really have a choice there he's not sure somebody who has a big ego he just, or a big gun he just wants to take care of people and um so he doesn't want to put people at risk just because he's being challenged by somebody else so he lets them in Speaking of trust, you know who I trust myself? Who do you trust yourself? Well, I, d I like to trust people 
who, instead of putting their money toward a military industrial complex. Yes, that's stinky. <laughs> they like to use their money to support community makers like artists. Oh, I love art and supporting people who make it. That's a good stinky, like stinky cheese. I do love stinky cheese. But do you know who in the heck and frick makes art? I have no idea. I've never met an artist. If I did, I would be terrified. <laughs> maybe you should tell us, Jack. Well, maybe oh, did you say artist? I thought you said dragon. <laughs> no, no, I said artists. And if you want to see one, just take a look in the mirror because that's us. Swords and satire and the people who choose to spend their money supporting our show are patrons. She's got a point, you know. Yeah. And they're on patreon.com slash swords and satire, I hear. And by them, you mean us, right? Us and the things we offer to our patrons. Ah, boy, howdy. (laughs) (laughs) Who support our show for a little tuppence every month. (laughs) Just a tuppence? Not much. Sorry, I I missed our tuppence uh, patron level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We offer exclusive content on there right now it's taking the form of duck art by our very own jack here the winter just ended and let's say the flock is coming home oh shit additional bird puns the flock is coming home to the pond Pund. Yes. To the pund. You cannot include that in an episode. (laughs) We also offer episodes, extra episodes for our special patrons. Our extra special patrons. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to support the show and you have the means, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire to become a part of our community. And as a bonus, on top of all of that, we are also offering our undying loyalty. Well, that's true. (laughs) Anyway, all that said, let's migrate back to the episode. Like a dragon. Yes. (laughs) That was weird. I, like, blacked out for a minute or two right there. I think I did, too. We'd better, uh... Uh, you let's know what? Just I pick just up. I went back to my void. Oh yeah, guys, I've seen some shit. Oh <laughs> well, let, let's rain it in a little bit. Rain of fire it in a little bit. Okay. I think where we left off, we were talking about the trust that was established suddenly between Quinn and uh, Von Kanto. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot about the scene where he kills a dragon by acapelling it to death. So acapellaing. Cool. It is a proud Nord tradition to fight dragons with the power of the voice. True. That's very true. <laughs> Fusro dragon. But this ain't no Elder Scroll. This is the this is the reign of fire. Or is it? Or is, is it? it Elder Scrolls? Doesn't Elder Scrolls take place in a post Fallout future, according to uh, the existence of Nernroot in the Fallout games after Bethesda bought them? That blows my mind. Can we prove that the destruction of the Earth in the Fallout series was not caused by dragons? I don't think we can. Nope. And uh, the dragons in both series, Skyrim and Reign of Fire, are wyverns. And how do you mean that they're wyverns? 
because dragons have four legs and two wings. And in Skyrim and Reign of Fire, they've got two legs and two wings. That's a wyvern if I've ever heard one. Yeah, but do they really only have two legs? I thought they had four legs. Do they have four legs? I'm I thought they, I thought they did in Elder Scrolls. Nope. In Elder Scrolls, they got two legs and two wings. In Reign of Fire, do they have four legs? Guys, we're a professional podcast who uh, fact checks. Oh my god, you're right. They're crawling around on their wings. Oh yeah, they are. Those, those, and all these dang dragons be wyverns. Holy shit, you guys. I never realized that. This conspiracy goes all the way to uh, the name of a famous dragon that's not coming to me right now. Jack, you are so much <laughs> more perceptive than I am. Smaug. <laughs> Well, it's just the second I see a dragon coming down, but its arms or its wings, I just start screaming re as it de descends <laughs> upon me. That's like, a dinosaur. That's a that's a dang. Well, how many um actuallys in a row am I comfortable with? <laughs> You're right. So let's talk about. <laughs> On that note about dragon physiology, let's talk about gender. Because Reign of Fire, wyverns are not a th a theme. That no. is just that is just a fun little thing. The they fucking call them dragons. That's true. They do. My whole understanding of this movie is shattered. <laughs> Masculine. You understood this movie? <laughs> Is the theme we're going to be talking about now masculinity? You better rein right. in our conversation, Jack. Masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're, okay. <laughs> the transition from trust to masculinity was so smooth. And we fucking hit turbulence and crashed the plane. <laughs> like the dragons that were impeding Van Zandt and his crew on their way from America to the UK. Exactly. In our skies. The dragons are only... The wyverns are only <laughs> renting it. Because humans... Our natural flyers. That's right. <laughs> Which is the implication of Van Zandt's statement. As seen by the angel in this movie who just like hits the ground at terminal velocity and fucking dies. In a manly way. There you go. I just set you up. Masculinity. He would rather die than admit defeat. That's right. Van Zam toxic masculinity. The second, oh my god, that <laughs> just sank in. What you said. Oh my god, it's so true because that woman was female. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Oh You're my absolutely god, absolutely right. The sexism goes all the way to Smaug. Oh, it does. You just made Cassidy smaug in their drink. <laughs> okay. It's my own spit. I'll drink it. Okay. It's my own dragon Boy, oil. Is that the sound of patrons joining that I just heard? <laughs> <laughs> so, masculinity. Okay. From the second Van Zan shows up. 
He's riding the tank with a turret for a penis. <laughs> That's right. His guns are out. And by that, I mean his ginormous muscular arms. Yeah. Correct. And his sweet tats. That's right. He rides in. The second he shows up, he says, we're here for supplies. You give them to us or we're taking them from right. you. Right. Yeah. The classic toxic masculine, you know, just dominate the whole dang world. Well, right? he's T-posing. He is T-posing, which we know is a sign of assertion of dominance. Exactly. Those arms are threats in and of themselves. Weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> That's right. WMDs in his sleeves. <laughs> Quinn lets which him he doesn't in. have. He never wears sleeves in this movie. That's right. Quinn lets him in. And they get to talking about killing this dragon, right? And when, they, when they're coming up with a plan, Quinn is bringing up a lot of concerns about the safety of his people. And Van Zandt is talking about how they have a large, violent undertaking they are about to go on. And he said, the time for asking for volunteers is over. It's time to start a draft. Right. Oh. We're yeah. going to start taking people for this by force. And that's when Quinn starts objecting and Van Zandt turns to him and he says, I give the orders, you follow them. Right? Whereas before they were working together, a little bit of give and take with Van Zandt being really assertive. Yes. This is where he's just like, I'm stronger than you. Now you're doing what I'm saying. He begins once, dominating everything. Once he let when once Quinn let them in, Van Zandt eventually just took over. Yeah. You got to Quinn to win. <laughs> or maybe lose in this case, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it could be said. However, in Quinn's own way, he has also been dominating his colony. True. Yes. He also kind of treats it like his word is law. Yeah. There are several people in his group who are worried for the dietary needs of their kids. That's right. We didn't even mention the group that almost leaves under Quinn. That's right. The kids are going hungry, which is not good for their growth. Or for colony morale. Yeah. That's right. And so several men in the colony are planning on going out and harvesting their tomato crops before they are ready to germinate and produce the next crops for right. the coming year. They're rushing to get food now and depriving themselves of food later, potentially. Yes, exactly. That's the point that Quinn tries to make to them. Yeah. And from their perspective, they are their fathers and siblings, and they are trying to provide food. For their family, which is a typical view of masculinity. But Quinn is also viewing his role as the same thing, but on a bigger scale. Yeah. And he says, I'm taking the keys to this car. You're not going be simply because I say no. And he's trying to point out that their actions would put the entire colony at risk. By drawing the in the dragon. Well, that is one risk that he points out but also the risk of going hungry later yes. more people could actually die but they want immediate gratification because they're so pushed to their limits 
maybe gratification is not the right word. They feel like they need food now and they're willing to risk later. And like, kind of with what you're saying, Jack, uh, what is typically considered to be like a masculine response to things is to like take action. Yeah. You're the provider, and when things get tough, you have to find the solution for it. And sometimes that means, like, going against the rules, like, taking from others, right? That is basically what they would be doing. Yeah. I mean, this is where we see a juxtaposition between Quinn's leadership and Van Zandt's leadership later, where Quinn does try to reason with the people who are leaving. Yeah. And uh, Van Zandt sees... The error of his toxic masculinity, like we said, it's almost sort of like the flipping of a switch later in the movie when the dragons burn the crops. Van Zandt goes with his troops to go find the male dragon who ends up burning down Quinn's colony. They barely survive in the tunnels, which they were striving desperately to dig at the beginning of the film. Yes. To have as a safe haven should they get attacked. That's right. And... Van Zan angers the dragon. He loses most of his troops before it attacks the colony. Yeah. And he, so he only realized the error of his ways once he hit kind of like rock bottom. Like he has no one to follow him anymore. And unfortunately, that's the way it is for a lot of folks. Yeah. But there is a turning point after all that tragedy has happened where he realizes that in order to accomplish his goal, he has to ask Quinn for help, and he cannot force Quinn to do it. Right. He has extended his authority at this point. Yeah. Also, he can't force him physically. Exactly. He doesn't have the firepower anymore. Yeah. And so Quinn has knowledge of London. Above and below. Right. He remembers from being a kid and being uh, a child miner, I guess. Which is where the Wyvern's Den is. That's right. And so they begin to work together. And there is a great scene in the movie where Van Zandt says, you give the orders, I'll follow them. (laughs) Which is the reverse of what he said earlier, because he... Now they're comrades in arms, right? Right. It just feels very unearned in the context of this film. But it yeah. is it is a an otherwise powerful moment in and of itself, but it feels very left field. Yes. A lot of people had to pay the price for his ego for him to get to that point. Right. We just don't really see him go through that. Yeah. It could have gotten edited That's out. That's true. It's the same with... Jared's whole arc about going to join the military and then like guilt and affection and like being cared about brings him back. And we don't see that scene where he's struggling with it. Well, we all know the screenwriting trick that I mention every week. Tell, don't show. Yes, of course. (laughs) And that's somewhat happened. And that definitely happens with Van Zandt relinquishing that power to Quinn. Yes. And he ends up getting killed by a male dragon instead of a female dragon. Thank God for his ego. Oh my God. Hashtag gender equality. That's right. And wait, no, male on male violence is the more is a very common form of violence. That's right. And there's another form of unfortunate masculinity that appears in the film. There's only we mentioned it earlier. There's only one male dragon. Yeah. 
Such a weird choice. Or Wyvern, as we've established. Yes, Wyvern. It's one of these things where you're like, you know, as a writer, you can come up with better options than this, right? This A million dragons and one male. While watching the film, we came up with at least three distinctly better ideas. The ant theory that that dragons are like ants. The ant theory, the alien theory, just like (laughs) so many other better theories. I loved the alien, I guess, wyvern theory. What was our alien dragon theory? Well, it was if you're only going to have like a queen dragon, which in this case was a king dragon. Sure. All dragons are kings in my book. Oh, wait a minute. King dragon is a pro ZD like meme character. (laughs) Uh, Well, Rain of Fire created it uh, 22 years ago. It's true. If you want to have like a queen quote unquote dragon that lands on the earth and just like controls a hive of wyverns. Oh, from an alien. Yeah, exactly. Like that's how they colonize. (laughs) They turn it to ash. Making the planet available. I think this mm-hmm. might be a movie. It sounds like Sea Wars. I think Edge of Tomorrow was kind of similar to yeah. that. But they have time travel and they're just yeah. like spaghetti monsters. True. However, there's only one male dragon. And without the one male who is the strongest of the dragons, uh, their species collapses. <laughs> Don't care for this concept either yeah and so just like at face value anyone who looks at it for more than like a nanosecond knows that's problematic right yeah. <laughs> you know media literacy is a uh, a dying idea in our world so also they kind of established that the male wyvern orders all the females to like do certain things you know yeah. the way that it's natural for it to be <laughs> yeah the alpha wyvern oh god yes oh boy all this being said uh like quinn is sort of the most moderate of the one of the figures i've mentioned when it comes to toxic masculinity he reins it in a lot he's he tries to keep a cool mind and do what's best for people but he does throw his weight around a lot, but he's desperate. He doesn't know what to do. Do we need to give our usual toxic masculinity disclaimer? That toxic masculinity does not refer to all things male being toxic, but specifically things that are destructive both to the self and the people around you. Not all behaviors by men or that are associated with men. I think it's always good to establish that. Cool. Especially because even though we've mentioned it in other episodes, not everybody may be listening to those. That's kind of why I thought it might be a good idea to lay the groundwork here. It's always good. But a character that I thought was pretty good about showing positive masculinity was Creedy. Okay. Let's talk about our buddy Gerard. One of our swords and satire like legends now that we've watched at least five movies with him. Yeah, that's right. He is comfortable being a supportive figure for Quinn. He is. That's true. He never challenges, like, Quinn's authority, tries to wrangle power, and he doesn't uh, He doesn't force himself yeah. over anyone else in the film. And he sort of, like, even makes fun of the Americans <laughs> for using force to push people around. Good he, point. He, like, jokes around... About like, oh, like, I'm so tough. Look at me. He's being, <laughs> he is satirically mocking them. I love how this is a pre-300 Gerard Butler 
Yeah. For me, like 300 is a is a fascinating film. Um for me, Gerard Butler's at his best when he's kind of a bumbling goofball. Yeah, he was really endearing. He actually plays that kind of character really well or the like in, yeah, endearing supportive character. Yeah, and, and Rock and Rolla. Yeah. It yeah. Seemed it really seemed like he was the one who probably came up with the idea of putting on old movies as plays for the children. 100%. Yeah. He and Quinn are playing Luke and Vader, and it, it's just so silly and fun for all these kids. Honestly, it's one of the two most memorable scenes in this movie for me, because we, Cass and I saw this movie in theaters when Jack was like a tiny bread sized bean um, <laughs> or, or maybe a large bean or, or a regular sized loaf of bread my first evolution <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and like the two things that stayed in my memory are recreating star wars as like theater for the kids and van uh and jean-claude van zan jumping at the dragon and getting eaten <laughs> hilarious you know, Quinn and Creedy really, they were, like, talking about themselves as best friends. And their Roommates. dynamic, <laughs> <laughs> well, their dynamic did seem, like, you know, very close. But I could also see them as lovers, but, like. Oh, no, did they fridge Creedy? Well, yeah, because it seems like it kind of, I don't know, frowned upon is the right way to put it. I mean, Action films to this day, I mean, I'm just going to use the expression that we use, right? Like, they know homo all over the place. They yeah. do that, yes. I mean, we loved RRR, and, like, they have to very much establish that these are non-queer characters in that film. Yeah, we don't actually get a lot of, like, stereotypical masculine live-action gay men. No, I mean... I can't think of a single action film where a queer character is the star and is treated like well. Just like a badass, right? Yeah. yeah. It just it doesn't happen often. There there's the thing in Con Air where there's a trans character that I think was established as a joke at the time, but now watching it. Re reads really well yeah. re like better than it was probably supposed to because it ends up being like a bunch of um really tough macho prisoners on a plane acknowledging somebody's preferred gender identity and like treating them in the way that they want to be treated yeah it makes all the prisoners seem really socially like they're progressive very, uh, and progressive. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's it's amazing how that movie somehow is aged better than it should have been. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's so it's so fleetingly rare in and, a, in action. Yes, and so they did not make Creedy and Quinn queer, but they do fridge Creedy in yeah. order to motivate Quinn. Which still feels very rushed to me and poorly planned and like kind of a nothing. Choice. It was shocking how sudden it was. Yeah. And then kind of how sudden it came and went. Yeah. yeah. It almost isn't a fridging because it doesn't really. Mo I mean, it kind of motivates Quinn. But they don't ignore. They don't continue to acknowledge it. Yeah. Creedy is forgotten after the after that next scene. Yeah. yeah. But this movie does that a lot. It's it because does. they need him to progress and go to London. 
yes. to take out the dragon. Or it's because they had no fucking clue where they were going to go with this movie until the end. Maybe. Yeah. That's my theory. Could be the case, but be more like Creedy, not like Van Zandt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love Creedy, That's man. Fair. He was great. Well, guys, before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question. What is the question, Jamie? (laughs) Is Reign of Fire art? I've been waiting for you to ask this, and I say no. Oh, harsh. Um, (laughs) It's fun and, like, enjoyable to watch, uh, but there's not a lot of substance there. Okay. I mean, I know we've, like gleaned substance from watching it and that's what we've been talking about this whole time but there there's not a lot of depth to anything that they cover they fall short whether it i don't know what part of the process got them to this point whether it was something in rewriting the script or like it has to do with the storytelling method or like Something in editing, but something is missing to give more emotional weight to this story that could have had it. Yeah, I think a big problem that I perceive is that it's sold as an action movie, right? But to me, it doesn't have enough action to be a proper action movie, and it doesn't have enough character to be a character piece. Right. It's trying to be too much and... Falls short in every category, I think. Yeah, there's like two or three action scenes in the whole thing. Yeah, they they do a lot of scenes where there are dragons around without showing the dragons for most of the sequences. Yeah. But to be fair, this came out in 2002. The technology wasn't perfect. The dragons looked really good when they were on screen for the brief moments they were on screen. They look better than the Dungeons and Dragons movie from this era's dragons. Like, infinitely better. But then again, this was a $60 million movie in 2001. Oh, yeah. So they put a lot of money into this, and I just, I feel like they didn't really know what they wanted it to be. There's not, there's to me, there's really not enough action of substance to justify this being an action film. And it's got, it's about fucking dragons. This should have been a slam dunk, a grand dunk, a grand, uh, a a slam, uh, Zand. Really? Yeah. It's just, it really feels like it was written by some like unexamined, like white guys who never introspected <laughs> and just like <laughs> had have never considered what it is like to be any other kind of life than like just a white guy growing up in a patriarchy. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. No, like I said, no people of color, no queer people. There's a token woman yes. in the film, a token woman. That's yeah. half the population. <laughs> More than half. More than half. Yeah. I just realized that the like joke, like opposite of grand dunk is a slam slam. 
What the fuck? <laughs> he gets a grand slam and a slam, slam dunk. dunk. Yeah, that's slam bro. Dunk. That's a slam slam. <laughs> and how about the idea that one male can propagate a species? Biologically correct, but he wouldn't have time to by do, itself. He wouldn't have time to do anything else like eat Van Zan. Okay. But by itself, there were no females. I it just doesn't make sense to me. Like the whole plot about the one male, I, I feel like they were just this is why I feel like I, I'm going back to my theory. This is why I feel like the antagonist of the movie was supposed to be Van Zan. And then they just had to come up with anything they could to like work towards an end. It's like, oh, if we find the one thing that can kill all the dragons that we've said to the million dragons out there, something has to stop all of them because no longer can we have Matthew McConaughey be the threat that they need to face. I see what you're saying. There could have been a whole other ending where they didn't really solve the dragon problem, but they like had to deal with the human element. Yeah, exactly. Man being the real monster. That is like a common uh, focus for a lot of these types of movies, but it does work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Remember Age of the Dragons? It's just a retelling of Moby Dick, but with dragons. Go back and listen to one of our earliest episodes. Like Ahab is a great version of this i mean in so many ways i feel like age of the dragons is a much better version of this movie i think so too (laughs) (laughs) i i just feel like for where the movie ended a much better setup would have been there's like three dragons and they've just laid waste to the world yeah because, I mean, how many do you need? Like, they did this thing where, like, oh, there's hundreds, millions of dragons. Where's the food supply? The dragons are going to be starving to death. Have, like, a few really horrible dragons. They wiped out much of humanity. But we've kind of whittled them down, and there's, like, just a few left. Yeah, you wouldn't need much more than, like, a dozen to devastate the entire Earth. Yeah. I'll tell you the only thing that actually felt creative... And uh, in this film, because I I really feel like the movie is could be the script could be put on a post-it note, right? <laughs> yes. Dragons? Question yeah, mark. Exactly. Apocalypse. The only thing in the film that I think is art is when they said that the dragons are responsible for making the dinosaurs go extinct <laughs> in the like uh before time uh, in the the uh in the overdub narration that happens after we meet Quinn for the first time as, yes. a, as a kid that that was the only part that I was like now that's good shit <laughs> you did really enjoy that and there is the whole scene that we've mentioned a couple of times about them recreating the Star Wars. Yes. As, I mean, as a play. Okay, that's that just was clever. Fun. That was fun. Yep. That's fun, yeah. But it's interesting because they are in an old chapel and they're performing it where the altar used to be. Yes, there's a massively underused religious undertone to this film yeah. with the chapel and everything. It goes nowhere that I can tell. Yeah. Just like the King Arthur stuff. Exactly. They're, they're in a chapel. There's the King Arthur allegory. They wanted it to be deeper because it's like in a typical, if this were a Christian movie, 
and the the Christian themes were more overt. I would say the dragons are supposed to be stand-ins for pagans, but they didn't really follow through enough to really make that connection or any connection. They should have just made it an Arthurian movie, <laughs> and Van Zan could be Quinn's brother, like Mordred. Oh yes. He seems like a Mordred coming in. Yeah, but then they just don't do that. They don't pay it off. And I think it's because they had to make changes to a movie they were already writing. I need to hunt down an original script for this film. Honestly, them just trying to make a connection to King Arthur by, like, Creedy quipping that Quinn is not like King Arthur is so fucking lazy. It's making me mad right now. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling a little mad, too. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I was super excited for this movie years ago. Yeah, yeah. We saw it. We owned the DVD because I think like I wanted it to be more interesting. I'm not a huge fan of this film. No. I, I like Matthew McConaughey's performance. I like Butler and and um, Bale, too, in this movie. It just doesn't do nearly enough for me for a movie about modern dragons. Again, this feels like you could put it on a post-it note and then use it as a pitch. I yeah. feel like this is the skeleton of the movie that was supposed to be made. Me, too. That's fair. And it's, like, it's disappointing. It doesn't have the meat, it's just the bones. Yes, and dragons love meat. Yeah. They need protein. Yeah. Well, I think our expectations for this month are appropriately set for the movie we're going to watch next in a couple weeks. In between, there's going to be our skit about this uh, film, so pay attention to that, listen in for that, but... Uh, after that, we're going to be covering Aragorn, finally. Oh, boy. Oh. Oh, yeah. Aragorn! You mean my favorite character from The Lord of the Rings? No, we've already covered those movies. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I am cautiously excited about that. Another movie that I remember watching a long time ago and I have no recollection of, other than a scene with a human riding a dragon. I think I've seen it between three and five times. I'm so sorry. Oh, God. I had it on DVD. Okay. And that's why. Is it good? Am I forgetting that it was actually secretly good? I saw it three <laughs> to five times. I see. Yes. I don't remember it being good, but then again, I've been told I've seen the movie, but I do not remember it at all. You have. And all I remember is the flying dragon. There's something. Again, I must have been in my void or something. There you go. There's a, one scene that is really vivid in my memory that I loved and now reviewing as an adult, uh, realize that scene is horrifying. In Aragorn? <laughs> yes. Aragorn? Aragorn. <laughs> well, I can't wait to talk about it with you in two weeks. Yeah. But, you know, if you need your swords and satire fixed before the two weeks is up between this episode, unless you're listening to this sometime in the distant future and all of our episodes are currently being uploaded directly into your mind, which is also possible because that's how time works, you can always follow us on social media by going to Facebook, Instagram, or the pile of excrement that used to be Twitter <laughs> and following us at swords and satire. That's awesome. And if you... Somehow missed our shameless plug before about our Patreon account, or you skipped over it. 
Here's another chance to hear it. Do not skip the plug. <laughs> we have a Patreon account. And if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire to join our patron community, support the show, and get some extra perks along with it. Ooh, sweet deal. That's right. But we know that not everyone has a few extra bucks to spare. Especially mm. not since the dragons have taken over the world. Precisely. So what's another way you can support our show? Well, you do what Quinn and Creedy did. You tell all your friends and family about it. Maybe reenact our podcast as a theatrical pantomime. Exactly. Like our intro for the Beauty and the Beast live action film. <laughs> yeah. Who gets to play crappy air? It would be Creedy. He, True. You know, he's humble like that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But word of mouth is the only way we advertise. And so it's a huge help when you tell people about it. And what's a better way to enjoy the things that you love than with the people that you love? That's a great point. You know, I didn't get the opportunity when we did The Last Witch Hunter to say it's true, it's damn true, because Kurt Angle was in that movie. This is where my brain goes when I'm about to say things. Is it relevant right to this movie? No, not even a little bit. Oh, good, good. That's a great point, Jack. That's so epic. Yeah, it's true. It's damn true. <laughs> All right, well, until next time. Hail, hail Cry. Cry.